The two things that I'm going to like edit together here were recorded before I got sick. So the one about Dave is going to be exactly the same because the fact that I got sick doesn't impact my feeling or, or, or what I actually said about Dave. The other stuff, I talked about judo. I don't actually remember what I said because I haven't edited it yet. I'm about to do that this afternoon. But now that I've been I was sick for a month, I'm in recovery now. I'm going to be probably in sort of a form of recovery for months and months and months. I'm able to walk around. One of the things, I was in a wheelchair for a week, but now I'm able to walk around. I'm not having any physical problems. I did realize last week I can't run. I The train came and I had to run for the train and I did this kind of weird squat jog and I realized this is how old people run who can't run anymore. And it hurt my knees. So my knees are still weak and I got to build them up before I can do anything like judo. And one of the things I actually talked about with friends was like, they're like, oh, when are you going to go back to judo? I'm like, the problem is if I go back to judo, I'm just going to get beat because judo is all about balance and a huge amount. Your knees come into play a huge amount whenever you're doing some kind of fighting. The young guys I fight don't have a sort of medium setting. It's either zero or 100%. So if I go back to the judo club, I can't fight. I could still maybe teach and stuff, but I have to tell everyone, I'm sorry, I can't fight because I'm not able to fight until I'm 100%, you know, fully able to defend myself, if that makes sense. Because I could say to these guys, hey, let's practice, but let's go light. And they would see that as an opportunity to, to like throw me around because for the last few years, I've been throwing them around or the big kids that I can't just beat up anymore. I've at least been blocking them. And they're going to see this as an opportunity. I don't, again, I don't think it's malicious. I don't think it's even conscious. It's just, they go as hard as they can all the time. And I remember being exactly the same. In fact, I was exactly the same until way later when I was supposed to have matured and stuff. I still was going as hard as I could all the time. Maybe that's why my knees were so bad and it's taking so long to recover. Whatever I say in this needs to be sort of tempered with the fact that right now, I'm actually physically incapable of doing judo. And that's having a very interesting impact on me because returning to judo has now become sort of a goal for me. Um, I have this very vague plan. The doctor, when I was in the hospital, said, because I asked him, how long does it take me to recover? He said, it's going to take six months. Now, by the end of this month, it's going to be two months of my recovery time. Uh, I'm going to be off all drugs. And he said, that's fast. Like, so basically, he said six months. I'm already going to be done in two. And that's because I do all the things you're supposed to do. The doctor says, do this, take this medicine. I take the medicine properly. He says, you know, start to walk. I was walking before he even said that. He actually was annoyed because he said, you can consider going back to work. And I'd already gone back to work the week before. 
So he was expecting me to sit around in the house and just do nothing and just relax and watch TV and stuff. And I just couldn't do it. I'm like, I'm actually just sitting around the house and I'm bored. I'm physically capable of going back to work. So I went back to work. So I'm on track. So I was thinking, take the full six months don't of like the recovery time he was talking about and don't do judo. Just build my body up again. Like I'll go to judo and teach and socialize and stuff, but I'm just going to tell him I cannot fight. Maybe I can roll around, but I have to be very careful testing the limits of my knees. I can feel when I go downstairs, I can feel my knees, which, you know, you're not supposed to sort of feel your body when you do certain things. When I did that short jog for the train, I felt it. So I got to build myself up to the point where I don't feel that anymore. And then I can actually push myself and see what happens. But I don't want to injure myself and end up with a bad knee. The second thing, I have six more months and then I'm going to turn 50. I thought there's a nice round number. I was thinking, what would be good is I turn 50, enter one judo competition, not a big one, just like a local one, and win. And that would kind of prove something to myself. I'm not out to prove things to other people, but turning 50, entering a tournament after an illness and a huge recovery and winning would be good. Now, I could actually go and just lose, which would be sad, but I would know going in what my abilities are. I maybe have told the story on the podcast before. My judo teacher a couple years ago was like, oh, Peter, you should enter this tournament because it would be funny. Not because it would be a good experience for me or good to have like a challenge for other people because I've got a lot of experience in tournament. He just thought it would be funny if I beat up all these guys. Now we're talking about a local tournament. So we're probably like fairly young, fairly inexperienced people. It's essentially not fair. But then I was thinking, yeah, it would kind of prove that I'm sort of back if I was able to go out there and win essentially that tournament that I refused before because it was going to be too easy. But then losing that tournament also might have like a huge mental impact for me, or it might make me work harder. I'm again, personality wise, I probably would just then keep going until I actually won that tournament. So I'm going to be like 65, losing that tournament, getting my ass kicked and be like, I'll be back next year. I'm going to get you kids. Uh, I could actually see that happening. Uh, I don't know if I'm actually going to do this, but my plan right now, I've basically been doing exercise every day. Uh, I've been focusing on just building up all the muscle I lost because I was in bed for a long time convalescing. So I, I didn't realize you lose all your muscle and then your fat. And I lost all my muscle and still had all my fat when I got out of the hospital. I felt really gross. When I got out of the hospital, I could do like maybe four or five push-ups, And I was up to about 15 or 20 when my elbow started to twinge when I got deep. So I stopped doing push-ups, but I was able to do chin-ups. When I got out of the hospital, I did two. And the other day, I think it's been two or three weeks since I, since I actually started doing chin-ups again, I got up to six. And I'm aiming for 10, and then I'll do sets of 10. I was doing dips. Dips are a lot easier, and they didn't put the same pressure on my elbow, which is weird, but I was thinking that might be the angle. And I hadn't done any, but this was a later stage of the actual starting to exercise again. So I was up to 10 dips pretty quickly, no trouble at all. I'm doing a lot of yoga, and I realized what I really need to do is balance, stabilizing balance, because going down the stairs and I can feel it and running, that is pushing the balance and that's what I need more. So I'm thinking of starting to do yoga, the stuff where you have to stand on one leg and lift up other legs and do things like that. But again, I got to be real careful and do it really slow. This is just extra information to temper whatever sort of bravado I might put out in the judo segment that you're going to listen to second after the Dave segment. So I am currently sitting in my uh, dining room uh, recording this from a laptop. Normally, 
I would be in my room on my desktop computer uh, with a very fine setup. And I've switched to a laptop. I've taken the same microphone and the same input. So I'm assuming this sounds the same, but if it sounds different, that's why. Because I'm recording on a different computer, has a different sound card. It looks like it's recording a little quieter, but I can always bump that up afterwards in some sort of program. But the reason I did this, why did I buy a laptop so that I could come downstairs and record my podcast? It's because of Dave. Let me tell you about Dave. Dave's a legend. So Dave is a very small dog. Uh, he's some kind of poodle. Uh, he's just a poodle. Poodles, it has a uh, like an image that goes with it. I actually, if you said, Peter, do you want a poodle? I would have said no. I would not want a poodle. And that's because poodles have like the frou-frou haircuts and they look really stupid. And it's not fair because Dave has no frou-frou haircut. Dave has his hair and it's curly. And Dave's gray. And gray is pretty cool. Uh, if you've ever seen me in real life, with most, most of you haven't, uh, I wear a very bland repertoire of white, gray, and black. Dave suits me that way. Now let me give you a little history of Dave and how he's inserted himself into my life. So I don't want to call him a mini poodle. He's only like five kilos or something. I would prefer to call him a mini Irish wolfhound. He does have the same striking features as those six-foot-long dogs. Just miniaturized so he fits in my house. We got Dave from a shelter, and the shelter has a very unique system because they run the adoptions on lotteries. They only lottery two dogs a week. So basically, you have to enter the lottery, and then two people will get a dog, and the next week there will be two new dogs, and then they create a new lottery, and people enter that. And then eventually, you get one of those dogs, hopefully. But this is guaranteed a 100% adoption rate from this shelter. And this shelter specializes in dogs who've had something shitty happen to them in their life. So the first one, the one that I was shown, that I really wanted to get was a Sheba. The Sheba had heartworm. And the thing is, that meant it was going to die in the next five years. And I thought, you know, one of the nice things you can do is actually give a dog five good last years. So he come live with us. If he sleeps all day, that's great. If he wants to go for walks, we'll go for walks. Basically, it's going to be up to him to what he, what he does. We didn't get that dog. We didn't win that lottery. But that kind of gets you hooked. Because then you really want a dog that you can kind of save. I understand the sort of the shelter idea. Um, I do hate the sort of phrase, phraseology they use now. Like the, the we rescued him. I mean, you didn't do shit. You went to a shelter and you bought him. Uh, the shelter rescued him. They deserve credit. You don't. Neither do I, because I didn't do dick all. I just went and entered a lottery and got a dog and drove it home. So I don't think I deserve any credit for Dave. The vet gave us the story. Now, he believes that Dave was used for breeding. Because Dave fucks. Or at least he used to. He cut his balls off, so he doesn't fuck anymore. Uh, he still humps. And it was weird because when we brought him into the house, he only tried to hump men. That's maybe a sign of domination. Maybe he just recognized game because game recognizes game. But Dave really wanted to bone down and it took us a while to get him to just chill out. He started to. Basically, if I play really rough with him, he will grab and start trying to hump me. But that is now the only time. Dave's been around for about a month now. So after he was used for breeding, because Dave fucks, 
I guess they'd had enough of him or he sort of passed his peak or his primer. There was some other young stud that come that had come up. And he was going to be he was going to take Dave's place. That was a bullshit move. Dave could have fucked forever. They took him and dumped him in a forest. Now he lived in that forest and they have to estimate this based on sort of like the mats in his hair and how much he'd been able to eat and stuff. But they estimate he lived in that forest for a month with no one to help him out. Dave is a fucking legend. Now, here's the thing. Someone just now thought, I could survive in a forest for a month. And fuck you. Because no, you couldn't. Because to actually match the situation we're talking about, we'd have to cut off your thumbs. Because Dave lived in a forest for a month without any thumbs. So if you want to match what Dave did, you cut off your thumbs and go survive in a forest for a month. We'll see how long you last because I give you two days most because normally you die of dehydration from three days. I bet you're so stupid because you had that initial thought that you don't even make it that far. Dehydration isn't what kills you. It's your own stupidity because you aren't fucking hardcore like Dave. So we entered the lottery. We've been entering the lottery pretty regularly for dogs. You can't enter for both. You have to choose one. Again, increasing the statistical likelihood that the dogs are going to get adopted. Whoever came up with this system is doing a really good job. We didn't get Dave. That's one of the ironies of this whole story. My daughter was standing there and a lady was standing there and they announced the winner and it was this adult lady. And that adult lady said, oh my God, this is the first time I've entered. I'm so lucky I won this dog. Now, my daughter isn't an emotionally manipulative person. She's kinder than I am. She's smarter than I am. She's all around just better than I am. So she tucked her head away. She started to cry. And she didn't want to make anyone feel bad. But we'd entered this lottery maybe five or six times now. It was starting to take a toll on her emotionally. Because it's hard to lose over and over again. It does build character, though. So, honestly, kind of good for her. The lady looked at my daughter. She said, oh, maybe there's been a mistake. This must be your dog. And the lady left before we could even say thank you. So this lady won the dog, saw a little kid who was just losing her mind, and gave the dog to her, which is pretty fucking cool. So... If you're out there, you're not listening because you're a Japanese lady. You're not going to listen to an English podcast. But if you're out there, man, we're taking care of Dave. Dave's cool, and you are too. So now we have to keep him in a cage when we're not in the house because Dave also chews. Chews like a motherfucker. Probably because he can't fuck. Because Dave fucks. So if I'm upstairs recording in my room, that means Dave has to be downstairs in the cage so he doesn't chew the shit out of everything. You're probably saying, why don't you bring him up into your room? And I actually kind of tried that, but I don't have a lot of shelves. This is a Japanese house. You got to understand it's a different world I live in. I don't have like, there's just not enough space. So I got a ton of stuff on the floor. It just wasn't going to work out. So instead of completely redoing my room, I spent about 500 bucks on a laptop and hooked everything up downstairs so I can record now. Dave's awesome. This is awesome. And we're going to keep being awesome. Dave's color... He is the accent to any style you could have. You wear a tuxedo, and Dave's gray as he stands next to you is going to be the bit that stands out. You wear a suit, Dave's looking stylish being with you because he's all curly and cool. 
You wear a leisure suit, and he's coming through with the same style. You wear mixed colors, and he pulls it all together. Because that's Dave. And Dave fucks. In the last story about Dave, I talked about how losing is good for you. I've told the story before, and it was about when I transferred from blue belt to brown belt in judo. So when I was a blue belt, for one year, I won every fight I had in competition in under 30 seconds. I thought it was awesome. And then I became a brown belt, and in judo, it was blue and under and brown and up. They fight together. And for one year, I lost every fight in under 30 seconds. And that was a huge kick to the ego. And it actually, again, I think it was good for me because it taught me that losing isn't the worst thing in the world. You have to power through. By the end of that year, I was actually thinking about quitting judo. I'm like, I suck at this. I'm never going to get better. And then I had that one fight where I beat my first black belt because he walked up to me. He was completely overconfident and I was completely lacking in confidence because I had actually just had a year of being destroyed. But he stepped to me and I did a little foot sweep and he fell on his ass and we both looked incredibly surprised. Like the look on his face and the look on my face were identical because neither of us could believe that I had just won a fight. So I won that fight and that sort of changed the trajectory of my judo career because I realized, you know, you got to struggle through and power on. And that's the same with anything. Losing all those other dogs made getting Dave just that much sweeter. But there are a couple times I've won fights and it's been questionable. And this was a story I told some friends. It happened twice in practice. It happened once in actual competition. And in judo, one of the ways you can win is you can hold your opponent down. Now, when I was doing it, you had to pull, hold your opponent on his back for 30 seconds. So if his, his shoulder comes up and goes back down, that doesn't break it uh, as long as you're maintaining control. That's the important part. In wrestling, it has to be three seconds on his shoulders. And if one shoulder comes up, then you don't get that point. So it's a very different system with a very different philosophy behind it. We're talking about overall control. Small motions don't count. They're talking about 100% control just for a very short time. Not diminishing either. Just a different way of looking at the same thing. Another way to win is to choke your opponent until he either taps out or goes unconscious. So the situation could arise, and I'm not saying could because clearly the whole point of this story is that it did arise, that someone could be holding you down and you could choke them from underneath and still win that fight because they could get choked so hard or so long they get uncomfortable and tap out and give up. Or they could go unconscious, you could just roll them off, and now you win. I was in a situation in practice where I was practicing with a guy. He was very good at chokes. I was wrestling with him, and I held him down, and I was holding him down. I knew it was getting close to 30 seconds, and he had managed to get a choke on. And What actually happened was I went unconscious but I think I was still there for the whole 30 seconds. Because maybe I went unconscious at second 27, 28, 29, and then the fight's over and he lets go and I wake up. Now in practice, there was no one to say stop. So since no one said stop, we both kept going and I was really out of it. Then he rolls me over, I wake up. He sort of slapped me on the chest to get me to wake up again to make sure I'm not dead. Honestly, this was all very safe, as scary as it might sound. Because he was a high-level opponent, so I actually was never in any real danger. So maybe I had won the fight. Maybe he had won the fight. This was in practice, so no one really knew. I do know that when I woke up, one of the first thoughts I had was, monster trucks are cool. And then I got a couple of breaths of air, 
And then I thought, no, they're not. Which has led me to believe that people who like monster trucks are actually somehow deficient in oxygen. They're not getting enough blood to their brain or something like that. To me now, that is the only reason that someone would like monster trucks. But then came a day in tournament when I got to a position and I had my opponent in a hold down. Now, it was a different guy, so I didn't have any suspicions, but my opponent did manage to slip a choke on while I was holding him down. And I believe that for the last two seconds, so maybe it took him 10, 15 seconds to get the choke on, then he starts trying to put pressure on, that's going to take 5, 10 seconds. Now we're getting to the last five seconds of the match. If I can hold on for five more seconds, I win the fight. He's choking me, and then the ref says stop. Now, it took me a second to get up, and it took me a second to get up because when the ref said stop, he stopped choking me. But I think for the last two or three seconds of that fight, I was not actually conscious. Now, I wasn't so out of it that it took me a long time to get up, but I was close enough that it took me a moment to pull myself together. So I think I actually lost consciousness for, let's say, two seconds, and yet still managed to win the fight. So I don't know how many times this has happened, but I'm pretty sure I'm one of the few people who's managed to win a fight while completely unconscious. Now, people were very suspicious of what had happened because I got to my feet. And again, you can tell when someone's been choked out, they're not totally stable. But all I had to do was get back to my line, bow off and get out of there and catch my breath. But that's the rules of the game. And sometimes it's just as important to know how to play the rules of the game than it is to play the game itself. Hey, sexy friend. He's making me his bitch. Thank you for listening. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, or go to velocipeter.com slash podcast, sexy out homies. It's just an interesting change. It's just an interesting is to choke your apart.